Hi, everybody. It's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. I remember going to Sunday school with my father and coming home after Sunday school and my mother was in the kitchen ironing clothes. And um, like I said, there was just just constant arguing and fighting. I'm not sure what prompted the change, but all of a sudden my mother decided she wanted to go back to church. And so then she took me to the Lutheran church. Not with my father, but to the Lutheran church where we started going to church every week. So, again, nothing was different in the household. A lot of arguing, a lot of fighting. It was a constant occurrence. I'm the youngest of three boys. My two brothers were nine years and 13 years older than me. I idolized my brothers. I used to go to sporting events when they were at high school, and I said to myself, that's going to be me. I'm going to be in the gym that they played on, I'm going to play in the very same fields that played on. And uh, that was just a, a, I just remember growing up that uh, that was something that was part of my, my thinking. I remember going to a basketball game in third grade, and I came to school the next day, and I told my third grade teacher what I was at the high school watching my brother play school and play basketball the night before, and she said to me something to the effect, I don't know the exact words, like you shouldn't have been out that late. It was a school night. (laughs) Admittedly, I was spoiled. My mother was overprotective of me. I knew I was loved and cared for, but I never had a deep attachment for my parents. And as I entered into my teenage years, I began to have, my anger issues began to surface more and more. I was an angry young kid. And it wasn't until my adult years that I began to realize what triggered my anger. All of us have anger, you know, issues that trigger us. And what triggered my anger was embarrassment. I didn't like to be embarrassed. You see, unlike most kids, I had two fathers. (coughs) I'm the product of an affair between my mother and my biological father. That relationship continued until his death. My mother would sneak us out every (coughs) Monday, excuse me, every Friday and Saturday night (coughs) so that we could spend time with him. I grew up in a small town. I perceived that my mother's relationship was common knowledge all across the town. I know it impacted her relationship with her father. My maternal grandfather and her were, I guess, you can say, well, you can understand where a father might be embarrassed or ashamed. And, I'm, and I know my mother felt that from her dad. 
Interestingly, the father whose name I bear always treated me as his own. As I said earlier, I went to church every week, but the Lutheran church where I went never taught the need for repentance, never stressed the need to receive Christ as a, as a savior. And that seed of faith was planted in me by my high school teammate. We played next to each other for two years. Frank had come to know the Lord and he invited me to go to a Young Life meeting with him. I remember going with him when I was a senior in high school, and it was, I went, it was okay. It wasn't something that I really connected with, and I didn't go back. But that was the start. That was the start. You know, you have the parable of a growing seed. That was the start. The next piece was in May of 1969, shortly before I graduated from high school. Frank's dad took us to a Fellowship of Christian Athletes banquet on City Line Avenue, the Marriott Inn on City Line Avenue. And I heard a speaker from the Baltimore Colts by the name of Don Shinnick. Anybody remember Don Shinnick? There's one, two people remember Don Shinnick, three. Don Shinnick was a linebacker. Now I'm going to ask you another question for those of you who like sports trivia. What's so special about the Baltimore Colts in 1969? Lost to the Jets. They the lost Bowl. to the Jets. January of 1969, they lost to the Jets. Broadway Joe Namath makes the prediction that they're going to beat the Colts in the Super Bowl. The third Super Bowl, the Colts were heavily favored and Broadway Joe pulls it out. So this was the linebacker for the losing Baltimore Colts. And he shared his testimony of how his faith was important to him. Uh, my eyes have been watering, so I'm not tearing up because of <laughs> <laughs> Although I admit, when I was sharing this with my wife the other day, I started crying. I couldn't understand why. Not this part, but anyway. But uh, he started sharing his testimony, how his faith was important to him, both on and off the field. He wasn't just praying to win. Unfortunately, that didn't happen that past January. But it was important to him. And that started the process even more. As I said, I played football with Frank. We played next to each other for two years. We worked out together. So once we worked out two or three times, or excuse me, three, four times a week during the summer. And um, he gave me some FCA literature to read. I remember reading about Pat Kelly. Remember who's Pat Kelly? Anybody remember, remember Pat Kelly, you baseball fans? Pat Kelly, outfielder for the Baltimore Oilers. Bobby Richardson. Anybody remember Bobby Richardson? Second baseman. Second baseman Yankees. for the Yankees. Fran Tarkenton. Oh, yeah. yeah, quarterback for the... Uh, Vikings, Roger Starback, quarterback for, what, what's the name of that team? But the commonality in all of those anecdotes that I was reading was how their faith impacted 
their home life and their family life and their personal life. And coming from the situation of the dysfunction in my home, I knew I wanted that. I knew that there was something missing and I knew that that might make a difference. Frank kept gently uh, sharing with me his faith. And I remember in August of 1969, this is about a couple months after I graduated from high school, he again stressed the need for me to um, receive Christ as my personal savior. What do you mean receive Christ? How, how, how can you know for certain you're going to go to heaven? But he stressed the idea that we're all sinners in need of God's grace. And we all need to accept him as our savior. So I don't know exactly what Thursday night that was in August of 1969. I'm going to guess it was probably the second or Thursday, uh, second or third Thursday in August of 1969, I became a believer. I was 18, a couple of months after I graduated from high school, and shortly before I went to school uh, to, at Bloomsburg in 1969. Just a short time, and of course, I went to school about a week before the other freshmen because I was playing freshman football. Believe it or not, I was 30 pounds heavier then, and uh, I played offensive guard. It wasn't long before I began to see God's work in my life. Through an interesting set of circumstances, my teammate from college, teammate by the name of Dave Satowski, from Hazleton. He already had a girlfriend, first week of school. And he introduced me, excuse me, his girlfriend introduced me to an attractive, cute redhead named Susan. You know that you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> Anyway, the next day, we went to the student union. We had maybe a soda together. And then later on that week, we had a date, and we went down to the Bloomsburg Fair. And the Bloomsburg Fair was a big thing in Bloomsburg. I mean, I didn't know that before I got there. Even the school shut down for a week for the Bloomsburg Fair. And, of course, there was one night a week when the Bloomsburg College students had free admission. And you know that's when I went, right? <laughs> so we had free admission. We went down on the day to the Bloomsburg Fair. And at the end of the evening, as the evening was drawing to a close, I was walking her back to her dorm. And she said to me, are you a Christian? I'm thinking, what? I'm on a date. And she's asking, are you a Christian? Fortunately, I knew what she meant. <laughs> But that was not something that even crossed my mind. Why would you say that on a date? You see, Susan was from a strong Christian family. She was not going to take a chance of going out with me again if I was not a Christian. I was thinking to myself, do you know I'm a football player? This is a tall, good-looking guy here. You're going to pass that chance up, you know? <laughs> But that was her background. 
Heck, I wasn't thinking of long-term relationship. Those other girls on campus, it was just, it was just eye-opening. As I said, Sue came from a strong Christian, Christian family, and providentially, her father was very active in the Harrisburg chapter of the Fellowship of Christian Americans. <clears throat> and through his encouragement, a friend of mine on the track team and I, we were able to start a Fellowship of Christian Nazis chapter of Greensburg. And that became a source where I began to grow. We had Bible studies together. We had weekly meetings. We even had our own intramural team where we competed against the, you know, the different dorms and the flats and so forth. And it was just a, a good time of fellowship for me as a, as, a, as a young man. And of course, I graduated from Bloom, as, as um, Tom said, in 1973. And it was always my goal to be a teacher and a coach. In 1973, I was hired by Neshaminy to be a teacher and a football coach. And incidentally, one of my former players is right here, Tom Calkins. I didn't know he was coming, but uh, Tom was a tremendous fullback. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's noted for the run against Pensbury in November of 1977. And uh, we a tremendous game. But Tom, Tom played at the University of New Hampshire and uh, uh, one of our better players that we ever had. And also, um, um, since uh, I retired, I've been doing football chapels at the, at the high school during the season. And um, Tom was always very willing to, to speak and help out and was also part of the FCA board with Scott Luz. But incidentally, while I'm off the topic here, but I, I, just, I shared this with Jack the other day. I've been doing chapels with the football team during the season uh, since I retired. And um, I'd have different speakers come in. And uh, I led most of the chapels myself. And there are times we only have maybe two or three or four kids. And that's okay. This year, this past season, we didn't have under 40 kids the whole year. We didn't have under 40 kids the whole year. And I'll take you, take you one better. The second to the last uh, meeting, I said, you know, some of you might want to be interested in doing this in the off-season. I said, I'd be willing to do that if you want. Many kids put their hands up. And this past Tuesday, we did our first meeting after the, in the off-season. We, we had over 25 kids. So, you know, guys, if, if you think of it, Pray for Neshaminy. I don't know if any of those kids are going to come to know the Lord, but I hope that this is a seed that's planted, like was planted in me when I was 18. So pray for those guys. I mean, 25 kids on their own. This is, no one's coercing them. And, you know, I have assets because I worked there, I coached there. I have assets that nobody else would have. And so uh, pray for those kids, if you think of that. I, th I think it's a tremendous opportunity, and we'll see where that goes. We'll see where that goes. Anyway, during the fall, when I was coaching, 
I wasn't home a lot. Um, I was. I, I loved it. I mean, I loved the film breakdown. I loved, uh, you know, setting up the game plans. But it was time-consuming. And some years later, I, I wasn't coaching at the Chamonix. I was coaching at the Central Bucks West with Mike Patton. And um, I would leave on a Sunday afternoon about 3.30 to go up for a game plan and meet into Mike's house in Doristown. And I would not see my boys again until Tuesday. Because Monday we had responsibilities. Tuesday I didn't get home until maybe around 7 o'clock at night. And... Um, Susan was a wonderful coach's wife. She was very supportive. She supported my goals. But gently, she said to me one time, she was wondering about how much time I was spending. And I, and I told her, and this wasn't a very nice way to say it, I said, leave me alone till after Thanksgiving. I began to realize it was becoming a problem for me. It was more than just a passion, which it was, it was becoming an idol. And so I knew I had to pray about it. And I did. And when I prayed about it, God gently told me it's time. And so I stopped coaching high school football. And um, I became a dad who was interested in and enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, don't get me wrong and watching my son's activities and watching their sports and watching them play. But I, I'm not going to tell you that I, I, I don't miss it and I didn't enjoy coaching. Coaching was a, a, a great, a wonderful thing for me. About that time, my boys were getting to be, you know, I guess, approaching their teenage years. We were going to Feastival Baptist in Feastival. And they had just dropped the boys' brigade program. And so my wife and I said, well, you know what? We had moved to, New we had moved to Newtown in 1986, but we still went back to First Baptist for church. And so this was 1990. And my wife and I said, well, you know, we think that that church down on State Street, we think they have a boys' brigade program. Doug, is that right? Doug was in the youth group with my son. And so that Sunday in September 1990, we came to First Baptist, and we found out that First Baptist dropped their boys' brigade program. <laughs> but what a service. The music, the teaching, we were just so impressed. We realized that we were going to festival because we wanted to be with our friends. And we never went back. We never went back. We were also concerned about festival because of the weakness we perceived as a weakness in the youth program. So we started going to First Baptist. Three months later, First Baptist hired Chris McCluskey. And Chris McCluskey, for those of you who know him, was a tremendous impact on my sons in terms of encouraging them in their spiritual development. And 
And so I see that as partly as God's timing. So I see as God's God's hand in my life, as I told you about Sue and providentially the, her family background. But God's hand was in, in us coming to uh, to First Baptist. For those of you who know, my son Brian played football in high school. And he uh, played football at Wheaton College in Wheaton, Illinois, where our elder chair went, Ken. Any other Wheaton grads in here besides Ken? Tom? Okay. Uh, but uh, Brian went to Wheaton. And when he graduated, uh, Brian became the, uh, the uh, youth pastor here at the church. And he started coaching football at Council Rock. He thought that that would be a good way for him to make inroads into, community, into the community and to uh, uh, meet kids who didn't go to the church. And after his uh, first year at Council Rock, that was when they split the school from Council Rock to Council Rock North and Council Rock South. And they needed coaches. And so this led to me to say, oh, I can go back. I've learned my lesson. <laughs> I, I can keep it under control and not let that get passion get the best of me. It didn't. I did not learn my lesson well, and I, I again knew that I had to go back to being a spectator. It just, it just consumed me. It just was something that became too important. All right. As I said to you earlier, I'm very grateful for my wife's family. And I'm going to share a little bit, just kind of interesting, and I think a little, a little bit, uh, you know, her, her, her family, her brother did a, 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 a trace. And they were able to find out that she's descended from a person by the name of Hans Landis, who was an Anabaptist in Switzerland, who was martyred for the faith. And so I reflected on that, and I thought of the, this verse in one, Psalm 145.4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. This heritage of faith in her side of the family has been going back for years. With parents after parents and grandparents sharing and praying for their, for their uh, family. And so, if you don't mind, I'd like to digress just a little bit from my testimony and just share some thoughts with you. I know I might be preaching to the choir, but hopefully maybe this can reinforce some things that you're thinking about. I recently list, listened to a sermon from uh, Dr. Tony Evans on YouTube. Dr. Evans is the pastor of Oak, Hill Baptist, of Oak Hill Bible Fellowship in Dallas, Texas. And Dr. Evans, like our pastor who's not here today, is a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary. Now, Dr. Evans has one flaw in his resume. Yeah. Can you guess what it is? 
He was a chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> I was wondering if there may be a flaw in the curriculum out there because Pastor Day likes the Baltimore Ravens. I, I, I thought maybe there's something that they need to get straightened out out there. But anyway, in his sermon, there's some thoughts I wanted to share with you. The family is the foundation of civilization and society. When the family breaks down, the society that rests upon it is in danger. When the family breaks down, chaos comes into society. The greatest collapse in America is the collapse of the family. The leading cause of poverty, the dropout rate, Teen pregnancy and substance abuse is the breakdown of the family. And this is the one that's even more important. He said that we are raising a generation with no spiritual heritage. We are raising a generation with no spiritual heritage. Please don't assume that the Christian community is immune. Multiple studies have shown that Christians and non-Christians are impacted by these issues at the same rate. Here's an anecdote that you might be able to relate to that I found earlier this week. A family had a precious heirloom, a vase, that was passed down from one generation to the next generation. And one day the parents of the family who had possession of the vase left the teenagers at home while they went shopping for the day. And when they returned home, the children met their parents at the door with sad faces reporting, Mother, Father, you know that priceless heirloom for the past that, that our family passes down from one generation to the next? Well, our family just dropped it. And that's what we have to fight against. We see that in the Old Testament. In Joshua 24, 31, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua on all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known the work that the Lord had done for Israel. And then later on in Judges. And all that generation that was gathered to fear their father, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. One generation. And they didn't know the work that the Lord had done. We may make excuses, or our kids will pick it up, or we'll leave it to the youth pastor, or sometimes when we're dealing with teens, we don't want to start the argument because, like me, I was an angry kid, and you don't want to get another fight. But it's worth the effort. 90% of people come to know the Lord before 18 or younger. It's an important ministry. Psalm 78 says, we, not, we will not hide from them, meaning the, 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 what the Lord has asked off in the beginning. It says, Psalm 78, 2 to 4, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, things we have heard and known and that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, and, but tell 
the coming generation, the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders he has done. In Deuteronomy, it says, you should teach them diligently to your children, talking about the Lord, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And, she not, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they should be, should be as frontlets between your eyes and you should write them on the doorposts of your house and on your, on your gates. How might we apply this? And I, like I said, I'm not saying you don't do this. I might just take it as reinforcement. And if you don't, maybe it's something. Let's pray for our kids. I remember, I can't remember the missionary, but I remember sitting down in the basement in First Baptist and we heard a missionary talking about praying for your kid's spouse. Even when they were kids, I remember, wow, I'm going to do that. I'm going to pray that my sons marry Christian women. And I began that, and they did. And I thank the Lord for that. I can't thank you, I can't thank God enough for, for the youth group that my kids went to under Chris McCluskey and the Christian friends that they developed there. Encourage your kids to get involved with the, with the youth group. Look for teachable moments. Maybe you watch a movie together and you find a teachable moment. What teachable moment can you get from watching Chariots of Fire? When you read about Eric uh, Lindell refusing to run on Sunday because that was important to him to honor the Lord and honor the Lord's Sabbath. There's a principle we can teach there. You might hear a lyric on the radio and take advantage of that moment to teach a principle to your children. Serve the Lord together as Tim is doing with his family and going to Kenya. Take advantage of those teachable moments. This past Thanksgiving, we did something at my house that's a little bit different. Normally, we try to take time and share with one another what God has done for us and what we're thankful for. And so this year... I said, let's take out Psalm 136. If you have Psalm 136, turn to it. We're not going to read all the verses of 136. It's a fairly lengthy psalm. But if you look at it, you see some verses. And after the verses, there's a phrase. For the steadfast Lord, for, the, for his steadfast love endures forever. So you read, give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. And I'm not going to read this consecutively. Give thanks to the moon and stars over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever. The psalmist praising God for his power and praising God for his blessings. And so we said at Thanksgiving, let's write our own psalm. 
And so there was 12 of us, and we split into three groups of four, and we each group wrote a short psalm, and we said, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when we were done, this is another tradition, we sang, great is thy faithfulness. And that always makes me cry. But after we were done, my one granddaughter said, Pop, can you save that psalm for next year? So take advantage of those moments. Take advantage of those moments. Stay current. Stay current. The teen culture is changing all the time. Stay current. Know what they're thinking. I suggest a tool for those of you who have teens in the house. There's a ministry out of Lancaster, Walt Mueller, called the Center for Parent and Youth Understanding. Great reference, wonderful reference that deals with the issues that teens are facing every day and current. It's our responsibility to do this. Let me read this verse to you. I'm, I don't know how long. I may be gotten too long here. But anyway, in Hebrews 11.21, the hall of faith, it says, By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Jacob, by faith, was blessing his grandchildren. I was doing this before this, but I was encouraged by this verse. Every morning, I, those, those grandchildren who I have that have a cell phone, I send a verse, and if appropriate, I send a comment. It's our responsibility. Second Timothy 1.5 says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith talking about Timothy, that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. Let me close with this anecdote. I wish I would have said this, but I didn't. It's my wife, Susan. Several years ago, we're sitting down with our financial planner, trying to decide our financial goals and all that kind of good stuff. And he asked a question, what did you want to leave as your legacy? My wife and I are looking at each other, what, what do you mean? Well, how much money do you want to leave your kids? I wish I would have said this, but I didn't. Susan said, you know, our legacy is not our money. Our legacy is our faith in Jesus. So again, I'm just going to encourage you guys to be intentional with your grandchildren and your children. And just because you don't have kids, we've got grandchildren, we need to take advantage of those opportunities to plant that seed of faith. So that's how I came to the Lord, a buddy of mine. We played football together. And fortunately... 
because of Susan's faith and her family that passed down from generation to generation, I have been extremely blessed and grateful for all that God has done for me. So thank you, guys. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Jim. Um, before we wrap up, anybody have any questions or comments for Jim? That was a wonderful. Yeah. Um, please take a moment if you, if you have anything you want to say or ask before we wrap up. Yes. Jim, when you gave up coaching the first time, how old were your boys? You said they were about to be teenagers. When you're, uh, how old were your boys when you gave up coaching at Michigan? First time. Um, let me think about that. Um, 1989, so I was 37. Is that late? No. Yeah, 1951, 30, 38. How old were your boys? How old was Brian and Mark at that time? Uh, Brian was, uh, Brian was born in, uh, 77, so he would have been 12, and Mark would have been, um, 9. That's right in the middle of it, huh? Yeah, yeah. Right yeah, there's some other issues I could have been. Yeah. Anything else? Any questions there? Uh, you brought up the Dallas Cowboys, right? And don't you think that it was interesting this past weekend that they had a halftime performer um, who was uh, a cheerleader on the team the last time they won the Super Bowl? <laughs> Don't know. <laughs> Don't know. Didn't know, Tim. Yeah. Well, listen, you guys, um, great having everybody out today. For those who have time to stick around, obviously, Jim, you'll be here for a few minutes yeah, and everybody sure. wants to catch up. And, and, and some of the other things we're talking about from a ministry standpoint, guys, I uh, kind of called out before. I mean, if you can hang for a little bit, maybe a guy might walk up and say, hey, I have a, I have a heart for a certain ministry. I want to ask you a few questions. And, um, yeah, we'll be here for a while if you guys want to just uh, fellowship a little bit. Blessing. Uh, everybody be blessed today, too. Your families and everybody going down. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you. Thank you. Hey, David.